the best way to create fantastic digital products is to understand the humans that we are designing these products for, that we're creating these products for, and then actually amass great teams of other humans to build those experiences. The way that is really missing from most organizations is that social science perspective in a true C-suite role, in a product leadership role, who are the leaders who bring that human customer obsession to the C-suite conversation. everyone. Welcome. I'm Mariana Almeida and this is the McKinsey Talks directly from the McKinsey Studio in Sao Paulo. This is our customer-centric growth series. We'll talk to some of the world's most influential chief product officers about the challenges and joys of their position and go deeper into what makes a successful product-led organization, their role, their relationship with peers, the board, and explore topics such as talent, operating model, and much more. Product-led and customer-centric organizations are the winners of hyper-growth. They are a new breed of organization that puts product at the center of everything they do. The series will be led by Fabricio Dor, partner at McKinsey and leader of product design and customer experience in Latin America. Welcome, Fabricio. Thank you very much, Mari. It's a pleasure to be here again discussing this topic. And again, the idea is to put and shed some light on uh, product-led organizations and why being so customer-centric is the future of a lot of companies and it's changing the, it's changing the environment. Fantastic. And for today's conversation, we are here with Tatiana Mahmoud, Senior VP of New Products at Pendo. She has been CPO of Nextdoor and GM at AWS, leading the creation of Honeycode, as well as VP at Salesforce, leading the lightning experience and creation of IoT Cloud. Hello, Tatiana. It's a pleasure to have you here today with us. Hi, Mariana and Fabricio. Hello. So to get us started in our conversation, I wanted to, to ask you a question that we're asking our participants. What's your favorite product and why? Ah, well, right now, my favorite digital product is the Pattern app, which I just discovered a few months ago. It's an app that really helps me know a little bit more about myself. It's based on Vedic astrology, which is uh, actually very fascinating. But as Socrates said, the foundation of all knowledge is to know thyself first and reflecting on who you are and what are the things that you value and that drive you um, is something that I think we should all be doing and all be thinking about every day. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, interesting. I want to see this one. <laughs> yeah, no, super cool. And actually, now that you know, you're discovering yourself, Tell us about yourself. Like we want to learn more about you. What's your background? You have a, an impressive career. You've been through different places and different roles. Tell us more a little bit. So uh, I was um, born in Kharkov, Ukraine. Um, and I am a little bit of a black sheep in my family because my mother's an engineer. My grandmother's an engineer. My father's an engineer. My aunt's an engineer. My brother's an engineer. And I was always very interested in the human sciences and the social scientists and how human beings behave. So everybody thought I was going to be an engineer. And I went into first economics and then anthropology. So it's very interesting that I ended up back in a place where I work with a lot of engineers because, you know, from anthropology grad school, I was going to become a professor. And then I got a call from a design company called IDEO. And they were looking to hire a 
an anthropologist such as myself. Um, and I ended up leading a lot of, at first, international projects and projects around the um, social innovation area. I happened to have been in Kenya in 2008 for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And what happened in 2008 was there was a big rise of M-Pesa at that time. There was post-election violence in Kenya and M-Pesa really took off during that time. And, um, and so I started talking to a lot of people about mobile money and how they were using M-Pesa. When I came back to the United States, I ended up being, you know, one of the big experts on mobile money because where else, who else had been on the ground in Kenya talking to people who are actually using M-Pesa, observing how transactions were happening, observing what are the last mile challenges in cashing out or making transactions um, through mobile money and those types of things. And through a series of events, then I started to get involved in projects for companies like Visa, right, around really redesigning how money experiences and financial transactions, you know, are working and being reshaped around the world through technology. I started doing a lot of design projects uh, around mobile applications, software platforms, um, those types of things, and uh, ended up also founding the organization design practice at IDEO because, of course, one of the things that we found, and Fabricio, you probably know this again and again, is that the problem with innovation, if a company you know, feels that it's not innovative enough, it's never a problem of the people internally not having enough innovative ideas, right? There are lots of innovative ideas happening in every organization, um, many of which are great, right? But it's usually the organizational design and how leaders are creating incentives for people within the organization that are holding those ideas back from actually being realized. So the organization design practice at IDEO meant to really examine the organization as a design, as a product itself, right? That can be designed, right? How do we design the organization so that these incredible creative ideas can start flourishing, right? Through a process of design thinking. At the time, Salesforce, this is 2014, we had founded the organizational design practice in 2010. By 2014, Salesforce actually decided that uh, it wanted to become a design-led company and needed to hire a leader that would help to transform it to be a design-led company. Um, and so they hired me. And uh, one of the first things that they asked me to do was to lead the redesign of the platform, for, of the, the core sales platform. And that led to me leading the Lightning Experience uh, redesign, the largest redesign of Salesforce in its history. Went on to also then lead IoT, the creation of IoT Cloud and that entire experience. Then a leader from Salesforce left to go to AWS to work for Andy Jassy. And the question there was, how do we actually expand the total addressable market of uh, AWS beyond people who code? So how do we create a no-code, low-code platform um, within AWS? And that led to the creation of Honeycode. And I led uh, all of the front-end teams there in product design and front-end engineering, both mobile and web um, engineering. From there, this was like in 2017, I went to AWS in 2016. By the end of 2017, there was a big emergence around 
you know, Bitcoin prices spiked, blockchain was becoming big. I, because I had a background in mobile money, I've been tracking Bitcoin since actually 2010. I hope you bought it. (laughs) At that time, yeah. (laughs) But it's a good thing I didn't because anybody who bought or mined Bitcoin in 2010 probably lost all of it in a whole bunch of hacks and a whole bunch of shenanigans that were happening early on. So the regret would have been greater than the actual value, you know, appreciation. So in any case, so I left AWS in 2018, advised a bunch of very early blockchain companies uh, around the future of what is now known as Web3. That was not the terminology back in 2018. And and then I got this offer to be the CPO of Nextdoor, which is a, a local a neighborhood community app around connecting neighbors to their local communities. And that was a really great opportunity to rethink social media around a strong identity system as well. And, um, you know, did that and then kind of transformed that product experience, transformed that team. And then uh, I started at Pendo uh, about a year ago to build a new future of work platform because obviously the pandemic has transformed how we all work. And there's a great opportunity to create this digital workplace layer for all of us to really understand how all of our employees are working in in the software that they use every day and help as managers support them in more appropriate ways directly through the software applications themselves. So that's a little bit about my, my journey. But really, I'm an anthropologist at my core who believes that the best way to create fantastic digital products is to understand the humans that we are designing these products for, that we're creating these products for, and then actually amass great teams of other humans to build those experiences. So it's really all of tech, really, and all of products in tech is all about human beings at the end of the day. I love that. And, I, I, and that connects exactly with my next question, because I think your career is amazing and you've been like through amazing places doing incredible things, but always having that background and that, you know, focus on the customer and that kind of the starting point. And that's a great inspiration for, you've been a product leader, you're a board, board member of different companies, you're leading the topic. What is a product leader? A product leader is someone who is very clear about who the customer is very clear about being curious about the mental models and the what we call the life world of the customer, right? And who has the courage to lean in and make the decisions that may not feel obvious to everybody else, but from the perspective and that deep empathy and that deep connection with the customer experience, they're courageous enough to step out and say, this is where the world is going. This is where, what customers actually need. And this is what we're going to build for them, right? And starting from that customer perspective and that, again, curiosity, the empathy, the focus on the life world of the customer. And the life world means what they're doing, what their mental models are, how they're living their lives, how they're, what are their, you know, jobs to be done. I love the jobs to be done framework, right? That's part, that's a very big part of the life world of the customer. And then really stepping in to the organizational conversations and bringing that customer perspective in, not your opinion of where the product should be going, but being able to communicate truly 
right? What is the customer need and why? That's very interesting. And people change, as you said. So do you think it has matured as a function in the market? So some companies are very mature in this perspective. If you take Amazon, you know, when Jeff Bezos is asked, what is Amazon? His answer is, well, it looks like we're a bunch of different things because we have retail and we have music and we have video and we have all of these different things. But Amazon is a principle and that principle is customer obsession. So if a company says we want to be like Amazon, What they're really saying is that we want to learn how to be customer obsessed, whether they realize it or not. So there are some companies that are mature, but there are many companies or many leaders. Their companies don't exist, right? It's just leaders. There are many leaders who want the rewards that Amazon has gotten, who want the belief that investors have in Amazon, but that don't understand that in order to get there, they need to make this transition to being customer obsessed themselves because that is the only thing that Amazon is. It's the principle of customer obsession. And if you listen to anything Jeff Bezos says, right, when he, when he gets asked that question, he just says, customer obsession is what we are and that is what we're dedicated to. And at the end of the day, you can see how investors have responded to that. What is different from product-led organizations to non-product-led organizations. And actually, there's a question on the back of that. Can we, does that terminology work in your perspective? Can we say that there are actually product-led organizations these days, or, or do you don't agree with that terminology? I very much agree with that terminology. And I think that terminology, if you scratch under the surface of that terminology, product-led and customer-obsessed are actually the same thing. Because, you know, again, back to Jeff Bezos, what he would say is that there are companies who choose to be technology obsessed. There are companies that choose to be competitor obsessed. There are companies that choose to be business model obsessed. And there, there are other companies that choose to be customer obsessed. And what it means when you are a customer obsessed company is that you are creating mechanisms, right, for everything in the product to measure what is the value that you're creating for your customer and what is the love of the product that you're creating for your customer, right? So being product-led means that the product itself is has all of these um, mechanisms embedded to allow yourself to get both the qualitative and the quantitative feedback back from the customer. And so they are exactly the same thing. Being customer obsessed is a principle for the company and being product led is how you actually make that principle real within your organization, right? Because some the function that is closest to the customer that is delivering the real value that the customer is paying for, right? Should be the function that builds these mechanisms into the product itself. Peter Drucker many years ago said, the purpose of a company is to create a customer. But how do you do that? How you do that is creating a product that customers love, right? You can only create a customer by building a product. And the product have to, has to have those mechanisms built in to actually get the signal from the customer again and again and again. They're exactly the same thing. Yeah, and just quoting one of the, our participants and fellow product leader that was here with us recently, he was saying how he had worked at Google and at Google, he said, like, 
if an MBA would go into Google, uh, you know, at some point, even now or in the past, they would say that this company is going to fail and disappear because they were doing everything the other way around. The only problem in the narrative is that they, they were actually very successful. And I think there's something there, right, on just being very, very courageous, just being kind of changing the way you're organized to be able to do it. And uh, we heard from another one, this person um, leads product, but also the go-to-market of the product because, you know, it's a way of also being very customer-centric in the last, you know, in, in the end of the journey, let's say, or, or at that point of the journey. Do you agree with that? Because I think that's very much in the core of it, right? It's, it's organizing yourself in a way that you can be customer-centric, right? And I think product became almost like the uh, leading way, right, o of doing that. Yeah, so you want to take the organizations, the functions that are, you know, have direct touch points with the customer, that the customer actually, that deliver real customer value. And you want to actually make sure that those organizations and those people in the organizations are first the right types of people, the people who are truly empathetic and truly curious about customers, and then who are courageous in terms of questioning the way that things are done today. And you want to put them, and you're going to want to give them power within the organization to be able to drive big strategic decisions and have really a seat at the table, you know, at the C-suite and not buried under the CTO. Um, what I often say is, you know, if you have a CPO buried under the CTO, <laughs> you're probably not product-led because, uh, and you also don't want to have a whole lot of product managers who are you know, just from engineers, the way that I like to actually design my product teams is about a third, a third, a third. So about a third of the product managers have some sort of technical background. About a third of them have a social science background, right? And they might come from places like design or, you know, from those types of, or just social sciences in general, right? Research, design, those types of functions, and then put them into product leadership roles. Um, and then a third kind of a business background, right? Your MBA types or someone who's been in operations or finance or something like that. So I like to be a third, a third, a third. You don't want to have them all be highly technical because at the end of the day, as a product leader, I work with technologists all the time. <laughs> I have great engineers who are my partners. I don't need them to be on my team. And I have great finance partners. Um, I don't need them to be on my team. The way it is really missing from most organizations is that social science perspective in a true C-suite role, in a product leadership role, who are the leaders who bring that human customer obsession to the C-suite conversation. And so how you design your organization to make sure that the customer focus perspective, the human perspective, the social science perspective, the life world of the customer perspective is actually at the table for strategic conversations is critically important in the organizational design. And what you mentioned, Fabrizio, about um, having go-to-market teams or, or marketing teams and product teams be really close together now, I'm seeing this as a really interesting evolution as well, that some companies that say, well, we can't afford a new C-suite executive, right? We have a CTO, we have a CMO, so we're going to put the product leader under the CTO. What if you were to, what I'm seeing companies that are that have that tension right now do is they actually create a chief customer officer who is responsible for marketing and product. Because when you think about being a truly customer obsessed organization, 
the two functions that are closest to the customer are product and marketing. And having them work together on you know, research activities, on crafting the positioning of the product as you create the product roadmap for the next you know, year or two um, out is actually really productive. So I think that the rise of the chief, chief customer officer who owns product and marketing in companies that don't wanna have a separate CPO and CMO and CTO is actually a, a very good evolution. There's another element to that, which is operations, right? Because mm -hmm. I think the, there's another element to the customer centricity, which is customer service. And how do you connect that to the product as well? And a lot of times in very product-led organizations, the customer service is the product because you go through all the experience and everything there, which is also another topic on that. And I think just passing the ball, I know that Mariana has another question, but I just want to ask you something. From your experience, because you have different angles, right? You see it from different angles. Do you see different types of product organizations? Is that sophisticated to that level in the sense that some are, uh, and maybe not, but some are connect product and marketing, others have more like engineering within product. Do you see different flavors or maybe it's, uh, you, you know, it's, it's not exactly that? Well, I mean, certainly we see different organizational structures. Again, I mentioned like when you have this, the head of product embedded under the CTO, you're going to generally get an organization where the product managers are more technical and more focused on delivering features as opposed to having time to focus on customers and their life worlds and things like that, right? Because the leadership sets the tone for how the rest of the organization is going to be incentivized and function. When you have a product under operations, you're probably going to have more I mean, they might have the title of product managers, but what I've seen is it's still more of a project management mindset, where again, it's just the delivery of features on time and sticking to the roadmap, as opposed to really these exploratory, courageous conversations about customer needs and where the future is going. And that's why I do think it's critically important for someone at the C-suite to be bringing the customer, the real customer worldview to this, the high level strategy conversations and who has a background really in social science to be able to do that, right? You wouldn't have a CTO who has no background in engineering, right? You shouldn't have a CPO who has no background in social science, who doesn't have the tools and the skills to really understand what are all of the ways that we can understand how the world is evolving? Is this a historical trend that we've seen before? Other you know, times when this has emerged and we can make sense of what might happen in the future because we've seen it in the past, right? You, you need someone with those tools and, those, and that knowledge and that experience to be leading product in a customer-obsessed and product-led company. This is very interesting, very interesting view. And Tatiana, could you tell us more about Pendo and your role there? Sure. So Pendo is, uh, you know, a platform that really helps enhance the world's experiences with software. And the, the core products, which, um, you know, we have thousands of customers using it, including very large enterprises, is really about becoming product-led, right? By bringing that customer feedback, the both quantitative and qualitative customer feedback directly into the product itself. So it's a, a tool that you just kind of hook it up to your product and you start getting data and insights on what customers are doing, which features are they using? If you launch a new feature or you launch a new experience, how quickly they are, are they adopting it? 
There's a product engagement score, which tells you like, you know, are you uh, actually seeing uh, incremental growth, right? Through how your customers are using your product. Are people adopting the things that you want? Those types of things. How's, what's the stickiness of the product? And there's qualitative feedback built in as well. Um, so it's a, and you can actually put tooltips and in-app communications and messages without having to bug the engineering team as well with Pendo. So it kind of closes the loop. If you're seeing a problem with product, product adoption or feature adoption, you can actually you know, put those messages in the product yourself without having to go into the, you know, the IT or engineering queue uh, to get the tooltips built or to get the light boxes built or whatever. You can do it right through Pendo. So it's an amazing tool. And so I was hired last year by Pendo to lead the creation of uh, a new platform, which uses, you know, all the great benefits of the of the Pendo kind of backend and the platform piece, but it's a new product experience to really help organizational leaders um, make sense of the digital workplace. So what we've seen over the last two years while we were all kind of locked down is just this amazing SaaS sprawl, right? Like employees bought all kinds of SaaS tools, just put it on their credit cards in many cases. And now CIOs and business leaders are trying to just figure out what are people using? What are the most effective and efficient tools for the business critical processes and workflows that employees are, are using? And maybe there are some that, that aren't as efficient and effective, right? So it's, uh, it's the platform to really help business leaders create a digital workplace layer on top of all these SaaS tools across their enterprise and, and across their organization and to be able to manage the employee experience in the digital workplace by, again, really knowing like, what are employees doing and where are they spending their time and what are the workflows that are working that we've asked them to do and which ones are they struggling with and dropping off in. And then again, building in those guides and communications and in-app messages to help employees really know what to do and really to comply with what their organizations want them to do effectively. Pendo has a lot of you know, great solutions and, and uh, widely adopted in the market. Um, and a lot of that helps with something that's product-led growth, right? And, and companies there are focused on that. Just want to hear a little bit from you, like what your perspective on product-led growth? Because it's, um, as a community, we all hear more about it and uh, it's a growing topic. Is it a fad? Does it really work? What's the, the perspective between like full product-led versus supported by customer success and, and sales? What have you seen latest on that? So I will say that I believe product-led growth is the natural motion for making sure that you're building a product that people love. So if you are building, truly building a product that people will love, it should grow organically. Now, sometimes we get in, in our own way, right? By not allowing people <laughs> to just buy the product without a salesperson, right? Which is why a lot of product-led growth initiatives start with a self-serve or enter your credit card type of experience in order to buy the product. So if I hear about a product that my friend loved and I want to buy it myself, why can't I do it without talking to a salesperson should be the first question. So product-led growth to answer your first question, is not a fad. It is the natural state of things if you are actually building a product that people value and love. Now, if product-led growth and the move toward product-led growth is just, I think, rationally looking at all the things that we put in our own way 
right? To prevent product-led growth and make sure that there's a way to unlock it, right? But then remember, product-led growth starts with building a product that people really love. And so if you love it, you might tell your colleagues and your friends about it. And then you want to be able to, for those colleagues and friends to just buy it based on somebody else's recommendation or based on something that they saw or a demo that they saw. And they were like, wow, this is amazing. Let me go buy it right now. And that means that the whole company is responsible for product-led growth and certainly the entire product team, not just the product-led growth team, because everybody is responsible for building the product that customers will love and want to refer to other customers. And then the product-led growth team is responsible for making sure we take the things, you know, we build the things that actually allow those people to buy the thing that they want to buy. I love that. And uh, I want to pick on something that you mentioned to us in our prep session that um, if it wasn't like that, you correct me. But I think this perspective that maybe some of the product leaders are not courageous enough, right, to be able to. Why do you think that? What does it mean to be a product leader versus a project manager? When you're a project manager, you're focused on delivering features on time and making sure the project runs well. What does it mean to be a product leader? It means that you're leading the organization to make the right strategic moves that it may not see if you were not there. So it takes a lot of courage to be the product leader who is actually more focused on what external customers say than focused on what your internal colleagues or bosses say, right? It takes a lot of courage to be the person who advocates for the point of view of the external customer, even when it's not politically popular inside the organization. And that's what a great product leader needs to do. A great product leader needs to be crystal clear that they work for the customer, not for their boss or their boss's boss, right? The number one goal, right, in creating a great product or a great experience is being clear on who's the customer. And so if a product leader thinks that their customer is their boss or their boss's boss, they're not going to make very courageous choices. Exactly. And not going to innovate as well, right? And they're certainly not going to innovate, or at least they might execute on somebody else's idea in the organization. They might execute on the CEO's idea, but they are not going to bring the innovation. Love that. Right? What should product leaders be hiring for? Like, what is the talent? Like, what are the characteristics the product leaders should be looking for when hiring GMs, PMs, and people for their teams? We just talked about courage and I'm going to say something based on Adam Grant's framework of givers and takers. If you haven't read the book or seen some of his talks on this, I highly recommend them. In Adam Grant's framework, there are givers and there are takers and there are disagreeableness and agreeableness as kind of personality traits. Most great product leaders, in order to be courageous and in order to be truly customer obsessed and bring that customer obsession to the organization, are the disagreeable givers. They are people who rub people the wrong way sometimes, right? They're the people who say things in meetings that nobody wants to hear sometimes. They are the people who come with data that has been, for some reason, ignored for a long time. 
or that people haven't wanted to look at in the past. So my favorite question to ask everybody that I interview is, uh, tell me about the thing you're proudest of in your career. And the reason I ask that is because I can tell if they tell a story where they change somebody's mind or they brought information to the organization based on customers, right? That changed somebody's mind, especially if they had to argue with somebody to be heard. <laughs> that is the sign of a great product leader. You're looking for the disagreeable givers. You're looking for the people who are, again, not going to just toe the company line based on what people are saying internally. You want people who are truly focused externally on customer needs so that they're trying to build the products with the greatest value for customers in the future. And if you look at Amazon, one of the reasons that some people don't like working at Amazon is because there are quite a few disagreeable people <laughs> in the top executive ranks of Amazon because they're not afraid to rub others the wrong way because the customer obsession value is so strong. Unfortunately, we are reaching the end of our session, so we have time for one more question. So I do have one question that I really want to ask, which is, you know, getting a little bit of your thoughts on this transition from non-product-led to product-led. As I said, like you've seen different contexts, different companies, right, through your career. Is there a way to... Like, what is the best way, maybe it's different, say, like, to, to move from non-product-led to product-led? Like, what are the aspects that need to change, the characteristics, the, maybe the routines, the ceremonies, the, I don't know, the structure from your perspective? Yeah. So the way that I would answer this is to say what we would look at all the mechanisms that we have built in to both the product and the organization. So as you said, like, there's an aspect of this in terms of what do the meetings look like, right? Are we spending a lot of meetings just talking about our own kind of feelings or our opinions about what should happen? Or are we bringing customer data to the meetings? And are we talking about customers, um, both qualitative and quantitative feedback from customers, right? Are we actually bringing those customer perspectives to the big decision-making points in our meetings? Are we bringing a customer perspective and a customer obsession to you know, to, to decisions about where resource allocation is going to go. Um, because how we actually develop the product depends on either internal opinions uh, or on external customer needs. And a truly product-led organization talks a lot more about customers. Now, tactically, I would say that number one is, do you have the mechanisms to be gathering that customer data? Do you have a good product analytics platform in place where you know where customers are spending the time? You know what paths they're taking through the product. You know where they're falling off. You know where they're struggling. You know where you need to invest based on the real customer data. And are you bringing the qualitative data also into the conversation to say, okay, we have these data points, but we've also launched, for example, a transactional NPS survey within the product that when people do fall off in this workflow, or they hit a friction point, we have gathered the qualitative understanding about why, what have they experienced, what have they encountered. So tactically, step one is to make sure you have the mechanisms built in to get that customer feedback directly to the product management team and to the product leadership. And, and Pendo is a good platform for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course, but I think there's, uh, I just want to wrap it up uh, on, on, on my end here. I think you mentioned something that I think it's, it's very important 
you know, emphasize, which is the routine of talking about the customer, right? From a qualitative, but as increasingly quantitative perspective is already a great start to become a more product-led organization. So that's a really good way to. It is. One of the things that Sarah Fryer did at Nextdoor, which I, I think really led to a lot of the success in transforming the product, was that every time we would go into a planning or a strategy conversation, she always had a section called customer insights. And this actually bubbled up to the board. Our board doc started with customer insights. What did we learn from our neighbors? What did we learn from our advertising customers? What did, what did we learn this quarter, right, about our customers? And to the extent that you can start your board conversations and all of your internal strategy conversations with a section about customer insights and what did we learn from customers, that's a really great start. That's very cool. Okay, so our time is up. Would you like to add anything else? Tatiana, final message? I think that, you know, this is product-led growth and being product-led is the natural order of things. And it's, and that's why I don't think it's a fad. Um, I actually know it's not a fad. I think if anything, for companies that are struggling to find their way, right, within, you know, big technolo technology changes and massive disruptions, You don't need to focus on the technology. The technology is, tool, is a tool to meet the needs of customers. And if you understand those needs, a lot of those technology disruptions will become a lot clearer. And so if the less that we can get distracted about this new business model or this new technology and just focused on like, what do our customers actually value, need, and love, Right, unless it's designed the right things for them, we're agnostic of technology, but leveraging any technology, that's the path forward. Super, fantastic. And I think uh, from my end, Tatiana, thank you so much uh, for being with us. I, you know, I'm having the pleasure to have these conversations and uh, we're going to have a few more uh, also in the, in the series. So yeah, I can't say anything else. Just thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you very much, Tatiana, again. And thank you, Fabrizio, for this fantastic conversation. The customer-centric growth series will be published as a McKinsey Talks video and podcast on YouTube and Spotify, but also as short articles on mckinsey.com.br. If you would like to know more about product-led organizations, send an email to mckinsey-talks at mckinsey.com. I would also like to thank all of you who are watching us on video or listening to us on podcast. To provide feedback on this episode, please complete the survey by clicking on the link that appears in the description. Go to mckinseytalks.com for a full agenda of McKinsey Talks. There you can also check out this episode and earlier ones on video or podcast. That's it. Thank you very much and see you next time.